Friends, how are you? Welcome back to the What If Project podcast. My name is Glenn. I am your host, and uh, you have landed on episode number 203 of the podcast. We have repeat guest joining us today, John Dominic Crossan, to talk about his brand new book, Render Unto Caesar, subtitled The Struggle for Christ and Culture in the New Testament. I was not sure what this book was going to be about when I got it. Uh, Render Unto Caesar is a uh, phrase that uh, Jesus said in the in the Gospels, and I feel like it's a, a phrase that's loaded with like a lot of baggage because I feel like people throw that term that that phrase around a lot. Uh, just a couple weeks ago, I was listening, I was observing <laughs> a conversation uh, about Christians and taxes and things like that, and the person said, "Well, Jesus says render unto Caesar," which makes it abundantly clear. That all throughout the course of the rest of time, Christians should pay taxes to the government. And that was their answer. Do I agree, disagree? Whatever. But they took this verse and they used it to apply it to this very particular uh, very particular conversation. And so, again, this, this phrase is, is, carries a lot of baggage. So I thought maybe the book is going to be about, about that. Like, what's, what, is, what does this phrase mean? things like that. He talks about it a little bit in the book, but the book is so much more than that. It's about the, it's this conversation about how should Christians, how should people who follow Christ, what should their relationship be to the culture at large in which they live? In particular, uh, for many of us, uh, North America, uh, back in, uh, you know, Bible times, the Roman Empire, all these different things. What how should a Christian relate to the culture at large? What does it look like? And he talks about in the book, he takes three examples, but two are from the Bible. And he talks about how in Revelation, in the book of Luke slash Acts, we have two different answers to the question. So how should Christians relate to culture? Revelation says one thing, Luke and Acts is something different. And so we talk about that. And then we also talk about if that's the case, right, if the Bible is giving us two different points of view, what does that say about the Bible? If the Bible is contradicting itself right here in front of us, what does that say about the Bible, the nature of the Bible? Can it be trusted? All these different things. So really good conversation coming up. Uh, we talk about all the things, Revelation. We talk about uh, Acts and the early church. We, we talk about so, we cover so much ground. And uh, I probably could, we probably could have gone for like another hour because... He was on a roll at a couple points, and I really wanted to just keep going, but I uh, obviously wanted to be respectful of his time and uh, yours. I guess we could have made it into two episodes, but we didn't block off that much time to do. But anyway, uh, I'll put the link to his book in the show notes along with his uh, his links, uh, also my links to uh, my book, Rethinking Everything, A Spiritual Journey from Black and White Thinking to a World of Color. It's available on Amazon. It's in there. If you'd like a signed copy, I've had people reach out to me and say, hey, uh, I'd like you to sign my book. Cool. Uh, I'll do that for you. Uh, we'll set it up. So email me, whatifproject.net.gmail.com. I order the book. I sign it. I mail it to you. And then you have it in your in your hands shortly thereafter. Also in the show notes, Patreon, buy me a coffee, two places to go to support the show financially. Uh, if this has encouraged you, inspired you, pushed you forward in your faith even a little bit, uh, please consider giving to the show. There's different tiers of giving, starting from $3 a month up to uh, however high you want to go. You can create your own tiers, different things, but every tier gets a reward, whether it's early access to things, uh, Zoom calls with authors, all different sorts of things. So check it out, patreon.com slash whatifproject. The link will be in the show notes. And uh, all that to say, my friends, that's all I got. This is episode number 203 with the one and the only John Dominic Cross and talking about render unto Caesar. Enjoy. I can feel such a forward deal on my last meal. Crack the seal, so much I can take. Gotta take a meal, constant battle. Got so many wounds, hope they start to heal. It's getting real, it's getting real, yeah. Seems like I'm a crab in a bucket. It'll take a while before I catch one buffer. Uh, feeling like I'm living robotic. Once I get the chance, I'm a living icon. Always catch me on my high, ain't gonna never.
never see me low. High above the cloudy skies, yeah, I'm focused on this growth. Nothing up to involve, ain't gon' never see me fall. Oh, my brother, get out soon, and this yeah. world is getting cold. Cutting head, taking college courses, all he see is gold. We'll call him up, tell a different stories, praying for his soul. Mama stay paying on his books, now he on the road. All right, hey, everybody, and welcome back to the podcast. Uh, today we're sitting down with our friend John Dominic Crossan. Uh, we call him Dom here at the What If Project to talk about his brand new book, Render Unto Caesar. And so, Dom, my friend, it's always a pleasure. Uh, welcome back. And Len, good to be back with you, always. Thank you. So your book uh, released a couple of weeks ago. And uh, how has the response been? What are people saying? Um, nothing yet. It's too soon. Nothing yet. <laughs> All that's happened on, on, um, on Amazon is three people from abroad didn't give it a review. They gave it a rating and they gave it a five star. So I have no idea who they are or where it came from. But I'll always accept five stars in any case. <laughs> but you know, it takes a time for people to read it and respond to it. Yeah. So I could tell you it's selling by the millions, but you know, that's not true. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of selling by the billions, right? <laughs> no, the billions, let's do it good. If you could tell a lie, tell a big one. Okay. Yeah. Well, I know a few people who are reading it. I know a couple of pastors actually who are reading it and uh, they're posting all very good things on Facebook. They're sharing clips and they're sharing quotes and uh, uh, they're okay. using it in their sermons. So I will let you know that. I started it. I mean, I proposed the book to Harper in, um, what would it be? By three years ago, mm. 2018, 2018. And so none of what was going on now is going on. Then. Right. It's almost prophetic. <laughs> it's, you know, it's, it's more a trajectory. I, I don't think of myself so much as a prophet as sure. a as a trajectionist, like if you see a pattern forming, yeah, well, it may change at any moment, but if you're watching a pattern, yeah, and I'm watching the pattern of violence, trajectionists can be totally wrong, right? <laughs> and, and that p- pandemic can stop everything, for example, right? Uh, but you know, it, it, let me put it to you this way mm-hmm. where I am at the moment, this, this is kind of my theological standing at the moment, it's where I am. It's where two things cross, two vectors cross. One is the vector of human evolution, open to the public square, and anyone can talk about it. The other is the biblical vision. That's only probably open to people who are interested in that. But mm-hmm. it's where they cross that I'm interested. For example, a short history of, <laughs> of humanity, our species, Homo sapiens, excuse the oxymoron, <laughs> homo, the wise Homo, Homo <laughs> sapiens came out of Africa, mm-hmm. our, our species came out of Africa only 70,000 years ago. And I think we declared war in the world. Mm. We didn't know we were doing it, but we declared war on the physical world. And that has led to the escalation of climate problems and all the rest of it. We declared war on the animal world, which brought us to the loss of species and everything else. And we declared war on ourselves, which has led us to the escalation of warfare. Now, escalation is the word I'm after. If I'm looking at the first century and the 21st century, it's exponential escalation. The Romans had silver mines in Spain, and you can find the lead residue in the ice cores out of Greenland. They were polluting too, but they didn't endanger the world. Yeah, They had warfare. It didn't endanger the world before we got atom bombs. So I'm trying to look at that. Now, the other thing I get from the biblical vision is quite simply, God so loved the world. Now, that means God loved me, loved you, loved all of us, but in the world. It doesn't say God so loved me. That's acute individualism, and we're quite at home with it in America. Yeah. It's a, it's very a Western a, theology. <laughs> I won't wear a mask because I have every right to do whatever I want. Yeah. So God so loved the world is the way to look at it. The world. And that means human evolution for me. I can't look at the world. Looking at him. So that's where I'm trying to stand at the moment. Mm. So, that's that's the vision that I have from those two vectors. And that's sort of the, the deep matrix of the book. Yeah. So, I mean, the book, like I said, before we hit record, the book is a is a uh, is a big book. And I mean, not that it has like 2000 pages, but that you're addressing some really big topics and mainly about this idea about how to uh, balance the topics of Christ and and culture. And you look at it, you look at that topic through the lens of uh, Revelation and the book of Luke Acts, which you 
kind of combined into one, which I'm sure we'll get to a little bit later, then also the words of, uh, of Josephus. And so maybe a, a good place for us to begin is can you give us like a bit of a, a bigger overview of this okay. book? Like what specifically is it about? Who, who is your target reader? And why is it important, especially in these times uh, that we're in today? Maybe bring us into these waters <laughs> a little bit. All right. And to be very clear with you, I had no dream of, of today when this book was finished. It went in, it went in last summer to my to my editor. Okay. Yeah. And it was you know working its way through the editorial. So process. there's a lot that's happening now that wasn't happening. Last summer, yeah. you know. Yeah. And it's too late to, to, to slip in something. And, and, so let me look at the book in lower. Yeah. I start with the fact that Jesus is offered the coin of the tribute. Mm-hmm. And the coin of the tribute is written, writing in Greek, says, Seos Sebastos Kaiser, which simply says that Caesar is God. Mm-hmm. Seos is God and Kaiser. It's nice and simple. Caesar is God. <laughs> no problem between culture and Caesar. Caesar is God. <laughs> Caesar is God. Easy. <laughs> it really is lovely. Now, Jesus, what Jesus says, however, is rendered, as we know, rendered to Caesar the things that are Caesar, to God the things that are God. So he's presented with an equation between God and Caesar. He makes a separation between God and Caesar. That's where I start with. Then I ask, okay, that's fine. That's lovely in theory. Well, in the first century and the 20, 21st century, we live under God and Caesar. Mm-hmm. Unless you've got rid of God and then watch it because you may have <laughs> be totally under Caesar. But anyway, <laughs> if you set up a separation, but you have to live with it. How do you do it? Mm. So that's the basic question of the book. How did the first century Christians, say in the New Testament, handle it? They could say all they liked about render to Caesar. Rend- How did they do the rendering? Mm. <laughs> How did they balance it? So I take two examples then. The first one, as you mentioned, is the book of Revelation. And what happens there is the Roman Empire is absolutely excoriated, satanized, demonized, because the theme, the thesis, the vision of this book is this. It's a very terribly simple, it's not a difficult book, by the way. It's only difficult because it hits you with images, 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 but they're always for the same thing. The image is this. The Roman Empire has slaughtered, slaughtered Christians in the immediate past, therefore, in vengeance, God is coming and Christ is returning in the imminent future, soon, 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 to slaughter Romans. So it's like divine vengeance. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. Isn't that fair? Rome slaughtered Christians, therefore, Christ will come back, forget this peace donkey into Jerusalem, come back in a war horse. An eye for an eye, right? (laughs) An eye for an eye. All eyes for all eyes. So this book is a wash in blood. And here's the problem that I had to face. First of all, as a scholar, I know that the general consensus of scholarship is that this book was written under Domitian in the 90s of the first century. And therefore, scholarship has usually said in the past, Domitian must have been an imperial persecutor. It must have been the practice in the Romans, at least under the Flavians, mm-hmm. <clears throat> to persecute Christians. Not, not a little random nastiness here and there on the local level, but on the imperial policy. But what's happened within the last, I don't know, maybe 10 years, maybe 20 years of scholarship, they've said two things. There is no evidence, historical evidence, outside the book now, that there was ever Roman imperial policy, at least before about 250, to persecute Christians. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, there's ample evidence that it wasn't happening. For example, if this is my example, I don't know if other scholarships use this. If you read the letters, beginning of the second century, letters of Ignatius, who's traveling under guard to Rome to be executed in the arena, mm-hmm. and who is writing letters, <laughs> Two churches, like the letters in the book of Revelation. Mm-hmm. In fact, he writes to Philadelphia. He writes to Smyrna. He writes uh, to Ephesus, of course. And there's not a glimmer of any problem about persecution. He never consoles them. He never says, you stood up, I congratulate you. He's all about internal administration of obeying the bishop and the elders. And it's all about church administration. 
Now you could argue, well, he just leaves it out. Of course he could. But you know, he's writing to these churches. Then you have Roman letters from Pliny, Pliny the Younger, mm -hmm. who is in the Black Sea coast, <laughs> we're talking about at the moment, the Southern Black Sea coast. Mm -hmm. And he runs into Christians. And this is a major Roman aristocrat as integrated into the Roman aristocracy and government as you could imagine, mm -hmm. Pliny the Younger, son of Pliny the Elder who died under Vesuvius. And he has to write back to the emperor Trajan and say, mm, I run into these guys, Christians. What do I do about them? I say, how could he not know? Rome has been persecuting these people imperially for centuries, and he doesn't even know what to do. He's the right to the emperor. Mm. And the emperor has the right back. Well, you know, if they're willing to offer a little incense to our dignity, let it go. And um, if they won't do that, okay, they're being, they're being too stubborn. So then you, can, then you can punish them for being stubborn. Mm. And then he says, but don't take any, any um, anonymous accusations. We don't do that stuff. Mm. This is the Roman Empire. So you're caught between there being slaughtering, not, not minor persecutions. Yeah. And the evidence is not there for it, but is there against it? So I use the letters of Pliny and of uh, Ignatius against the letters of John of Patmos, if you will. I'm not certain that anyone else has done that, to be honest with you, but it's the obvious thing. But there is a consensus as scholars. You're the first one brave enough to do it. <laughs> I mean, it's hard to me like a, very, a terribly obvious thing. To right. make, wait a minute, there's, a, there's another guy coming along, you know, maybe 10 years later in the same area, he's traveling this way. Mm -hmm. I wonder what he said about them. I had read Letters of Ignatius way back in school and I hadn't read them for decades. Sure. <laughs> you know, I just go read them to see if I can catch a glimpse of, you people have stood up and I'm proud of you, but I want you now to work. You know, a passing reference. Yeah. As if today we could speak about the Poles, you know, the Polish people and what they're doing to help the Ukrainians without knowing what happened in 1939, mm -hmm. the last time the Russians came west. Mm -hmm. So you can't not know about it. So maybe you could explain it, but I would simply say, you have a serious problem with the book of Revelation that you have to answer, why does it, I have to use the right word, why does that lie about Roman slaughter? Mm -hmm. And why does it create, which I think is a libel, the crisis coming back with vengeance? Mm. So that's what I had to explain in the book. I take it for granted there was no persecution because I'm with scholarship on that. I take it for granted, however, it does say that. Mm. And by the way, the book is, is only difficult because it's, it's trying to almost numb, numb your consciousness, consciousness into silence. Right. Image, image, seven right. bolts, seven bolts, not one bolt, seven bolts, everything seven. It's yeah. coming at you. It's like a strobe light. Yeah. But what it says is always the same over and over and over again. They killed, Christ will kill. Yeah. So my problem was how to explain that. Hmm. And I do notice, by the way, that John of Patmos is in exile on a Greek island. Hmm. I mean, that's the worst that happened to him. I, I'm not clear why exile on a Greek island is that big a punishment, but that's... <laughs> just sound bad to me. <laughs> I was never there during a winter. <laughs> the summer seemed quite lovely. Anyway, <laughs> no, I mean, he, he only mentions one martyr mm -hmm. the whole by name. Everything else is... is blood and thousands up in heaven. And it's all very vague, but the message is quite clear. So now here's what I had to answer. And here's my answer to it. What John is up against in these beautiful cities along the Aegean coast of modern Turkey, Ephesus, Smyrna, Sardis, I've been in all of them. Um, if I was a Christian, let me say in Ephesus, let me imagine the, pe the people he's writing to. I'm a, I'm a devout Christian. There's no way I'm going to fall for Roman imperial theology and worship Caesar, no way. <laughs> but what I can't see is why can't I get with the Roman Mediterranean globalization? Hmm. Roman imperialism is not about grabbing land. 
It wants a complete circle of the Mediterranean because it's, you might call it a primitive if you want it to be sort of uh, sarcastic, but they called it globalization. Caesar is shown with the orb of the world in his hand. So this is globalization. There was one at the end of the Bronze Age. This is a, a Mediterranean globalization. Give her the program. Now, if I'm into olive oil, let's say, and I'm living at Ephesus and my, my farms and that are producing olive oil, I can't see why I can't get into the web of, of contacts around the Mediterranean. What's wrong if I, have a, if I have a possibility of selling my olive oil to Rome? What's wrong with that? No, I'm not, I'm not going to worship Caesar. But here's what John of Patmos would say in a bottle. You don't get it. Let me use my language. Globalization and mer mercantile commercial globalization is simply the body of which the spirit, the soul is Roman imperialism. I don't think he'd even say, well, it's, uh, you know, it's the, it's the nose, the nose of the camel already in the tent. You'll start off by getting involved in business with Rome and you'll end up worshiping Caesar. I don't think he'd say that. He'd say, this is what it looks like in, in practice. Globalization is simply imperialism at work, hmm. which is a message very much that we have to look at. When does globalization become neo-imperialism? Hmm. And Rome was already working at that. Hmm. That's what they were interested in holding Spain and France and Syria and Egypt. It was globalization. So John's idea is, I am going to make Rome so, so brutally evil, so demonically inspired, and Rome itself actually so pornographically evil, hmm. the great whore of Babylon, that nobody in their, by the way, and so imminently doomed, that nobody in their right mind would have anything to do with it. Mm. Hey, no, 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 I don't even want to be. Make it so it, repulsive, yeah. It is, I'm going to try and make it so repulsive mm -hmm. that you, that even to say, I just do business with them. It's almost like, look, it's like the way we're dealing with Russia right now. Mm -hmm. We're saying it is so evil that we don't even want to do business with it. Pull out Starbucks, pull out everything, right? <laughs> when this is exactly the position. Now, yeah. and we have trouble with Europeans, of course, because they, they want the oil, we understand that. But this is exactly the problem because we think we invented a lot of things we didn't really invent. Mm. We did not invent globalization. We just kind of perfected it. But Rome was working on globalization. That was, that was really, I'm not trying to be modern, you know, or witted or use modern language projected back there. Sure. The importance, for example, of holding the Jewish homeland was not so much its, its, its silver mines, as it were, <laughs> but it connected Syria and Egypt during the non-sailing season. If you had to send troops from Syria and Egypt, supposing the Parthians came west again, as they, as they had done, this closes the circle. So you can send troops backwards and forwards on, during the non-sailing season. So all of this makes sense. Mm. Now, John's reaction to that, and I mean, it's, it's not absurd, is any day soon, watch the refrain, soon, 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 soon. And we know he was wrong. Because mm. soon meant in the first century, at least in our lifetime. You can't sweat soon for 2,000 years. No, you can't do it. If You're somebody, wrong, John. <laughs> you know, you know if, if somebody said when the pandemic started, it'll be over soon. Well, not five minutes, not a week, not a year. What would you think? Um, if it was still going on five years later, I think that would be wrong. Mm -hmm. Maybe one year. You know, it's, it's an elastic term, I'll grant you. But if it was still going on, you might say, well, it, it has become like the flu and every year you'll have to have a vaccination. Well, then the soon is gone forever. It's, it's, a, it's with us like the flu maybe forever. Right. So you then say, well, no, soon was wrong. Mm -hmm. And soon is elastic, I grant, I grant you that. Mm -hmm. But it doesn't mean 2000 years. So everything John, quite frankly, says about Rome was historically wrong. And I do think as a theologian and a Christian mm -hmm. that what he said about God 
was not only factually wrong in terms of soon, but permanently wrong, because that's not the way God acts to Christ. Mm -hmm. But I understand the incarnation. Otherwise, I have to say Christ blew the incarnation and has to come back to fix up his mess. Mm -hmm. That's what you're saying. Yeah. You're saying, you know, coming into Jerusalem on the peace donkey to put an end to war, eh, that didn't work. Let's come back on a war horse and kill. So if, if, you, if you want to say that, then say it openly and honestly. The incarnation was a mistake. Don't tell a lie. <laughs> yeah, and that's funny. I mean, that's, you know, Revelation is, that's why I wanted to ask you about this. Revelation is always a book that has confused me because I, I went to um, an evangelical private school from the fourth through 12th grade and then Bible college, all the things. And growing up, we were told that the book of revelation is all about the end times right so it's it's about what's going to happen to the world when jesus returns and so you know i had like the end times chart plotted out in my room i had one of those colorful charts i was all into all the different things and uh you know bill gates for a while was the antichrist and it was obama and now i think it's like anthony fauci i've heard people say it's the yeah, antichrist poor, poor anthony <laughs> yeah poor anthony and then you got you know babylon was you know a different nation every year you got russia yes. china us whatever take your pick mark of the beast when i was a kid was credit cards and now it's you know the covid vaccine but whatever it is you know like you said jesus is ticked off and he's going to be mounting his horse he's got a sword in his hand he's like ready to chop off limbs and, and shed some blood and it, it dawned on me a while ago because i was thinking about my upbringing i was thinking about just all the things i was told as a kid and it seems to me that like a lot of people are very obsessed with what they, what they think will be the second coming of Jesus, who they say is going to come with like this, like you said, this chip on his shoulder against, against the world and ax to grind because they weren't really that impressed with his first coming, which yeah. was right about meekness and humility, all these different things. So it's like the second coming speaks more to, I don't know, like the, this, that heart of, of violence, that desire for revenge and, and yes. justice and all these different things. And so that's the coming that gets all the press. That's the coming that gets all of the attention and the, you know, a lot of the books written about it and like the popular sense, that's the one that makes the news. So I was wondering, like, what, what do you think of that, of that theory, so to speak, that the reason why the second coming gets all the press is because, you know, they weren't, we weren't really that impressed <laughs> with the first time he came. Well, that's, that's the first thing you're said. I mean, God so loved the world. Right. That he had to send them twice because the first thing didn't work. I mean, if, <laughs> if we would listen. Right. That, that line that is that evangelicals love, and I do too. Mm -hmm. But the, the more serious thing is this. It's avoiding the issue that, yes, we are now capable, in the way the Roman Empire wasn't capable on its worst day, mm. of destroying the world. Yeah. And all you would have to think, for example, is if the Ukrainians are being bombed being, um, with missiles from outside from Russia, let's say they're, they're crossing into Ukraine from Russia, mm -hmm. and they say, as people have always said in war, then we have a right to send a missile against them into Russia, which that's what we did, you know, yeah, yeah. in Cambodia. Mm -hmm. Or if, if the, the Poles are sending, sending in munitions from the West and the Russians say, we have a right send a missile into Poland against those means we did that in Cambodia ourselves. Yeah. It would only take that really to start World War II. I'm not trying to be apocalyptic or anything. Sure, sure. We are now like in the summer, the lovely summer of 1914, where things can go wrong and people make stupid mistakes. Yeah. So it, the, check with the atomic scientists how their clock is doing at the moment. Mm it's probably so close to midnight that you can hardly see it that's not apocalyptic there is a reality in this world right now that we could destroy it mm. we not god right no matter how you think of god no matter how you imagine god and even if you don't imagine god that's why i'm talking about human evol evolution yeah. we have escalated things to the point we know it with climate change that the speed of escalation just think, I mean, the beginning, of, I don't know the date now for, I'm going to say it from memory, but it's going to be wrong. Was it 1909 about when we first flew, when Kitty Hawk, North Carolina, first took off? And now we have stealth bombers. When they didn't 
by the end of the last century. Yeah. Our, our capacity to kill has grown, not, not our, I don't think we've got more evil. I really don't, honestly. Mm. We just got more terrible weapons. Mm. But it's the same process. So somewhere along the line, escalation has got out of control. Not just though, like this has always been there. There's always been war. There's always been violence. Get over it. Don't be such a, a lily-hearted liberal. There's always been. No, it's it's gone this way, yeah. straight up. Yeah. And that that is the evolutionary problem. So when I talk about violence, honestly, I'm not talking primarily of an ethical, a moral, a religious, even a Christian problem. I'm talking about an evolutionary problem for our species. Yeah. So I, I would like, I would like to hear that as as the problem of violence, not not just for example at the moment we're talking about um, war crimes committed by by um, Vladimir Putin. Okay, but in 1945 we said to start a war was a crime. We're not talking about war crimes afterwards, but to start a war, to, to attack another country, which hasn't attacked you, is a crime. So therefore, war itself is a crime. Yeah, yeah. Now, defending yourself, that's another issue completely, defending yourself. But war is a crime. So at the end of all of, all of this 70,000 years of our existence as a species, here's what we've come to. So on the one hand, when I read the book of Revelation, I don't believe a word <laughs> about God going to do it, but I can read that book of Revelation as a cautionary tale about what we might do to ourselves. Yeah. That's, that's not the way I do it. It really isn't. And that's not what it was intended. Mm. Because it, it's, it said soon, and as I said, you can't stretch. It's talking about the end of the Roman Empire. Mm. And if you lived in the Roman Empire, you couldn't imagine the end of the Roman Empire without it being the end of the world. Yeah. Because Rome always claimed to be the world. Hmm. You know, when, when Augustus talked about being the savior of the world, that's his title, he never said savior of Italy, of, of Rome, Italy, the Mediterranean. He hmm. they always talked about the world. You know, over there where the Irish across the Irish Sea, but they're uncivilized. Who wants them? You know, over in the... German forests, more and so they're not the war. They're, they're the barbarians. We don't, mm. we, they don't count. They're uncivilizable. Mm. So they, that was their vision. That's funny. I mean, like, I don't know, 10 years ago, if I would have heard you say, you know, that you said earlier about Revelation and John, he's, he's writing this, this history, so to speak, that really isn't true, right? It's not, it really isn't factual what he, how he describes the Roman Empire and the way that they, or the the rate at which they were um, murdering Christians, yeah. and so I guess my my question then is when, when I when I look at that when I look at the act the accurate history showing us something different, looking at what John's doing today, it doesn't really that doesn't really surprise me as much because I I've kind of learned to read the Bible a lot like that, like especially a lot of the gospels and things like a lot of the stories in the gospels about the virgin birth, things like that, because I think that these writers and correct me if I'm wrong, but I think these writers were writing their story, not to give us like the Jesus cam of what was going on in the day, but to kind of, to, to write the story in such a way that it emphasized the points that they wanted to make. So it seems to me that John, like you said, is trying to write this story, not because he's trying to deceive us into saying that this is, this is what was going on all these years ago, but he's trying to say, you know, globalization, all these things, Rome, Rome is bad, Rome, Rome is evil, Rome is the devil, and let me write this story in such a way that I cannot possibly make it any more clear <laughs> to you than I yeah. am right now. And the only thing that's wrong with that, because I, I honestly spend an awful lot of time on the book of Revelation in this book. You do. Probably a year. I mean, getting yeah. ready. Oh, getting ready. I thought you might just writing it, but yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Because it, I started in 80, 86, I was going to say. <laughs> That's a long time. <laughs> 2018, 2018. That's when I started writing it. Yeah. And I really start. I didn't start with the first chapter on the coin. I started with Revelation. Hmm. Did that before I got to Lukács. I, I wrote the, 
the central section first, then the, mm -hmm. then the book ends in terms of writing it. And the problem I had with, with that is because people were saying to me, well, you know, this gives consolation to the oppressed. I, I said, yeah, but I started by thinking, but it's not true about God and it's not true about Christ. And basically then I slowly began to realize that good news can be fake news. Because mm. I was hearing all this battering going on from television, you know, about fake news and misinformation right. and lies. Yeah. <clears throat> and I thought, yeah, I'm not using that language and maybe I should be using that language. Mm. Because John knows better than that. It's not that he's deluded. <laughs> he's in exile of Patmos. <laughs> he knows exactly what's going on. And he's writing to these cities. Mm. So he knows what he's doing. Yeah. I, it was really only then I, I worked on the second part more that I don't, I never believed it was true about God and Christ. I didn't because I, I had read the gospels and I, I figured I, you had to either abandon the incarnation or revelation. Mm. And I went for the incarnation. I thought God so loved the world was right. Mm. But I hadn't really done enough work maybe on revelation to know the consensus and to know that it's not working even with the first part. So at the end of it, I mean, some of my friends have said, well, wasn't it, isn't it good just to have it there for God? And I said, no, it's not consolation because we're responsible for this. God's not going to do it for us because there is slaughtering going on in the world. If it wasn't happening in Rome and he just made up this whole thing, well, it could just be a fantasy. It would be like, like science fiction. This would be religious religion fiction, as it were. And you could sort of enjoy it as a dream world or, a, you know, a fantasy world. Mm. But there is slaughtering going on in the world exponentially increasing. And it's our problem. Yeah. God's not going to solve it. Rome's not going to solve it for us. Yeah. Um, Christ's not going to solve it from outside. So this is a sort of a postponement our abandonment of our responsibility for the world yeah god so loved the world that he gave it over to us to run yeah that's genesis one and christ is is the vision of how to do it properly that's right so i i can't honestly even though i have very good friends who tell me no no it's this is this is the the, the, the wretched of the earth find consolation here because they can imagine vengeance. I, I, there may be a time for narcosis, you know, mm -hmm. you're dying and screaming pain and somebody gives you a narcotic, that's of course good. Mm -hmm. And maybe if the oppressed of the earth, but no, that's not what you tell the oppressed of the earth. It really yeah. is. Yeah. That's a lie. You tell them that we're responsible, first of all, probably for your oppression. <laughs> mm. So if we're the oppressors, yep. then you don't worry about the oppressed of the earth. You worry as much about the oppression of the earth from our side, from the, mm. the great empires. So I, I've been asked, would I, if, I, if I could control the New Testament, would I get rid of it? No, not at all. Mm. Because then we just put it underground. Yeah. This, this is a mirror held up to ourselves. We really like this stuff. Yeah. Even Paul says something that, you know, Jesus didn't. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. He tells people, don't, don't use violence against Rome. This is in the end of Romans, Epistle to the Romans. Don't use violence against Rome. Don't. But then he says, vengeance is mine. Mm. And as I understand Jesus, what Jesus says is, Love your enemies, because that'll make you heirs of God. He uses sons, which means heirs of God. So the vision of Jesus, as I understand it, is not nonviolent resistance because, you know, it'll bug the Romans that don't know what to do with you, and it's better than being eaten alive by the legion. So just practice, mm. you know, good <laughs> political strategy, nonviolent resistance. No, he says, because that's the way God is brings the sun up and the just and the unjust. And I would say, wait a minute now. I thought the Old Testament taught me that God sends thunderstorms on the unjust. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Deuteronomy chapter 28 says he, he, he doesn't even send rain on the unjust. Mm. And Jesus says, God does not practice divine punishments. Mm. Wait a minute, that, that goes way beyond, you know, non-vital resistance from Christ that could just be a personal strategy or something. Mm. That is, it's based on God. Yeah. That God doesn't punish, but wait a minute. The, the whole Bible keeps saying God punishes, mm. including the last book, which is the Supreme. So you have to really rethink, not just the book of Revelation, but you have to rethink the whole Bible. Yeah. I'm trying to decide if I want to go into the second part, because I, I know I've, I don't want to keep you too long. Do you have time to go into Luke and Acts? Oh, sure. Yeah. Sure. Okay. So, but uh, what I wanted to ask you um, is the other piece. So you have, you have Revelation on one hand. Right. And it's it's John talking about how Rome is bad, Rome is evil, all these different things. But then on the other hand, you have Luke and Acts. So we just got done talking about how the Bible sometimes gives us different different stories, different versions of things. And I was not I did, I never like I only looked at Luke and Acts as like growing up as a story of Jesus and the story of the early church. And that's it. And that's it. That's all it is. Yeah. And Revelation's the end of the world. But you you to put both of these books side by side. And you show how they very differently speak about this topic of culture. So maybe take us into that piece a little bit about Luke now on the other side. And that's honestly where the book began. When I yeah. first proposed the book, I thought it would be no more. I think I called it future vision or something. And I wanted to contrast these two absolutely opposing visions. In one case, Roman Empire is demonized and the other is canonized. And then it grew from there mm. with the coin and everything else, with, with help from my ed editor, by the way. Um, so let me talk about Luke Acts. Mm -hmm. First of all, let me think of the logistics of writing in the first century when you're writing on a papyrus scroll. Now you're not Dead Sea Scrolls of those heavy. Um, not a laptop either, right? It's just a... Yeah, not, not a laptop. <laughs> so you, you got a scroll. Yeah. And you go down to the, the, the local Amazon on, on the Tiber <laughs> and you say, I'd like an empty scroll, please. Papyrus. They're going to give you one round numbers around 30 feet. Why is that? Because if you roll up a scroll, the scroll is made of glued page, pages, glued, glued, glued. If you roll it up tight, much more than about that lead, it'll burst. Mm. You can't do it. It's, it's a logistical, pro mechanical problem. Mm. And also, I'm going to try and read it, you know, scrolling as I go this way. I'm just saying I'm reading Greek. Or, so I have to be able to heft it. You know, I could put it up on a... Uh, uh, a sacred scroll, of course, made of skin can go up on a, on a podium, but this I have to be able to maneuver it. So mm -hmm. generally speaking, you can fit, say, Mark or Matthew or John into a single scroll. Mm. It can be done. It's mechanical. Now, imagine Luke for the moment. He has a much longer story to tell. He needs two scrolls. Mm. That's all. It's mechanical. It's like if I said to my editor today, I have a thousand page book. Now, I know what he's going to say when I say that, but let's imagine he doesn't say that. Trim it down, Dom. <laughs> let's say, yeah, come up with 350. Suppose it's Supposing it's important enough to see us. Oh, he'd say to me, okay, that has to go in two volumes and we give you a box set. Mm -hmm. That would be heavenly. Hmm. Like Ray Brown's The Death of the Messiah. Two, you know, the, the pagination goes right through, the index is at the back, the front, the prologue is to the two. It's, it's, it's a mechanics. Mm -hmm. So Luke, to write what he wants to write, needs two scrolls. And by the way, volumen is the Latin for a scroll. So we say two volumes, we're really saying two scrolls. And I give in the book a perfect example of it in Josephus's. Josephus, for example, needed one scroll to write his life, mm -hmm. two scrolls to write against Appian, seven scrolls to write the Jewish war, and 20 scrolls to do Jewish antiquities. Wow. And that's all chunks. So he wrote against Appian. It's two scrolls. The connections are, they're both dedicated to the same person, Epaphroditus. He begins the first scroll. At the end of the first scroll, he tells you, it's time now to move to the second scroll. Then he starts off again with Aphroditus. He's a two-volume work. No librarian was ever nutty enough to put that into separate volumes, you know, separate parts of the library. So they right. got separated into two independent and then names were put on them. Hmm. Everyone knew it was a two volume work. Now along comes Luke Acts. 
he wants to tell a story which starts in Nazareth. First volume gets you to Jerusalem. Second volume pivots in Jerusalem, Jerusalem to Rome. Mm. So his story, his theme is the future. This is Luke Acts, not my theology. It's Luke Acts. And by the way, he's the only person in the entire New Testament, including Jesus, who describes accurately what happened, whether you like it or not. Mm. Because this is the first step towards constantly. Mm. He says, the future is not Jewish Christianity. Paul's turning over his grave. So is Matthew. <laughs> it's Roman Christianity. Yeah. So I'm going to tell you the story of how the Holy Spirit comes on Jesus at the baptism, comes on the apostles at the uh, Pentecost, and drives westward all the way to Rome, guided by the Holy Spirit. And when he reaches Rome, end of story, Roman Christianity. So the new holy city is Rome, not Jerusalem. This is the manifesto of Roman Christianity. This is Luke. It's the first step towards Constantine, first step from Nazareth to Nicaea, you could say. Now, it takes two volumes. When people were organizing the New Testament, they decided, of course, to put the Jesus stories up front. That leads into Paul. I mean, it was an obvious thing to do. I don't even blame them for doing it. Mm -hmm. it, made, it made really good reading sense, and it convinced people for years. Mm. It, it's still a revelation for people when you say, well, you know, the letters of Paul were written in the 50s before any of the Gospels. Yeah, but they were written about Jesus, and he came before Paul. So in any case, <laughs> we're separate. Now, the issue of that separation is that you lose the whole meaning of either of them. Mm. For example, just to give you an example, mm. in chapter four, Jesus goes into the synagogue at Nazareth, and he's almost killed. They take him out and try to kill him. Now, that makes no sense in the first century with Jesus, and there's nothing like that in Mark or Matthew or Luke. Mm -hmm. But it makes some sense for Luke, who's writing maybe around the year 100, plus or minus 10, who's talking about Paul. So this is a model way at the beginning of the first volume of what mm -hmm. you're going to get quite often in the second volume. Mm -hmm. And in the same way at the end of the first volume, Jesus is exculpated declared innocent by a military officer, the centurion beneath the cross, by a client king, good old Herod Antipas in Jerusalem, only found only in Luke, and Pontius Pilate, who says it three times. Mm. Now, when you get to the end of the second volume, lo and behold, a military tribune, Claudius Lysias, declares him innocent in <clears throat> Jerusalem. A king, Herod Agrippa II, a client king, declares him innocent. And Festus, Porcius Festus. So you have a perfect storm of innocence. Mm. Every Roman official who runs into a Christian, if you could use that term as it were, for Jesus, he's not, he's a messianic Jew, but they're all innocent. Mm. If I was a Roman aristocrat, I'd say, how come all of these people are so innocent, but they're always in court? Mm. I would much prefer they were never in court. Anyway, it's a manifesto that the future of Christianity, and I think that's the term I would use in Luke, mm -hmm. is Roman. Mm. And actually, that's what happens, because by the time of Constantine, he looked around, figured, well, I have one empire, one emperor, me, one new city, Constantinople. I think I need one religion, Christianity. Of course, the Roman Empire as the model. And of course, there's going to be a cost for that. Yeah. Because if you imagine a, a rabbi in the year 350, let's say, walking along the golden horn in Constantinople with a Christian bishop, and the Christian bishop says, oh, we've converted the Roman Empire. Hmm. I think the rabbi would say, yeah, yeah, yeah but we still have to see who's converted whom. Mm. He would say, well, you're the religion of the Roman Empire, like the army of the Roman Empire, the fleet of the Roman Empire. Maybe the Roman Empire owns you. Mm. We'll see who owns whom. Mm. 
So that's the that's the challenge of Luke Acts, and when you put it back together. So what does that then tell us about? What does that tell us about the Bible, right? If we have these two works, right? If you want to combine, like you said, we're going to combine. Oh, that, look at that mug! Render under Caesar mug. Yeah. Wow. Caesar got this. Or Caesar. <laughs> Sarah got this for my birthday. I like it. You got the cover on it. The, the Dom Dom twenty twenty. Oh, Dom twenty twenty two. I like it. It's a nice nice picture of the the cover of Render to Caesar. Very nice. It's a big yeah. mug too. I like that. Yes. <laughs> Um, but uh what does that tell us about about the bible because if we have luke and acts over here giving us one idea about the roman empire revelation giving us something drastically different me many of our listeners were re i don't obviously believe this anymore but you know the bible is this perfect inerrant document you know never contradicts itself right here we have a very clear contradiction so the bible is not this inerrant word of god that's the perfect non-contradictory whatever what is what does this tell us about what the bible Yes. Yeah. And your that position of the Bible perfect is, is magnificent unless you make the mistake of reading the Bible. <laughs> right. As long as you just wave it and say this is you know <laughs> you know, this is beyond dispute. We have, right. It's like waving Shakespeare and says, This is just one play. I mean, you got away <laughs> with it unless you happen to read it. Right. Um, the, the book I wrote earlier, how to read the Bible is to be a Christian. Mm-hmm. I mean, on the, on the superficial level, you could say very often there's two views given you and you have to decide. Yep. But there's something more profound. The honesty of the Bible is this. The glory of the Bible is this. And I've spent my life with the Bible. And believe me, if I didn't think there was stuff there worthwhile, I would get out of it. I, I, wouldn't, yep. I wouldn't do first century history and say, just link it to the Bible because that gets me a job or something. Mm. I do first century history. And I think I could make it, make it, make it sing because <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're still in the period, imperialism. But anyway, yeah. what we're going, what's going on in the Bible is a relentless, repeated challenge from the God of the Bible. And just however you understand God, I'm talking about the biblical God mm-hmm. challenge. It starts as early as the, the opening scene in Genesis. It starts from the Sabbath. It starts from mm-hmm. the Sabbath day. It starts from the Torah sense of distributive justice hmm. <laughs> it starts in Leviticus saying love your neighbor as yourself and love the the resident alien as yourself for example hmm. so the, the whole vision of justice into the prophets of beating your swords and the plowshare and your spears and the pruning hoops and not living under your own vine and your fig tree not somebody else's stolen one and not being afraid hmm. the whole hmm. vision that I see flowing from Torah through prophecy, into wisdom, into Jesus, into Paul, is a vision of how the world better be or we're going to destroy ourselves. Mm. I added that part. It's, mm. it's its vision of it. Now, if you're just reading that, you can say, ah, oh, that's a dreamy vision, forget it. But if you cross it, as I said, with human evolution. Now, the other side of the Bible is human beings, not evil people, not evil people, either Jews or early Christians or ourselves working like mad to mute, negate, to admit and deny at the same time that vision. Hmm. That's, the ba- that's the main dialectic. Hmm. It's not just, oh, there's two views, there's this two and the other. That's what's going on with incarnation and revelation. We have a clear message of what Jesus did and he was executed by the Romans, and his followers weren't rounded up. That's what the Romans do with nonviolent resistors that pick off the leader. Yeah. If, if you're violent, we string you up in a row of crosses so everyone gets the idea. Mm. If, you're, if you lead, their term was, if you disturb the people or stir up the people. That's, mm. we call that an activist, mm. nonviolent activist. They said, if anyone stirs up the people, they're crucified, thrown to beasts, or sent to an island. All right, so the Romans knew Jesus was non, non-violent. But then we have to have the book of Revelation. Hmm. If it wasn't there, I would know it was there. I'd know it's in people's mind. Hmm. Because that's all the way through. No. You, 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 get it, you get it where where the Old Testament says you can't buy the land and sell, you can't buy and sell land because land belongs to me. You're just my, you're just my stewards, your guardians, 
you're my my <laughs> guardians. Wait a minute, you see. Imagine the imagine a Jew in the Old Testament. That's absurd. I can't buy and sell land. Huh? Hmm. Land, that's capital. Of course they can buy. Can't buy and sell land. Ah. So I could rent out my land. And if you fail, oh, but if I rent out my land, I can't take interest. So the law is running along behind you, trying to get mm. in front of you. I can't buy and sell land, but I can rent it out. Yeah, but you can't take interest on it, says the land. Okay, how do I get around that? Well, I tell you what, I'll rent out my land to you, no interest. But at the end of six months, if you can't pay me X amount, I get your land. Mm. I didn't buy it. I foreclosed on you. Mm. Now, if you watch the sequence of laws in the Torah, you can watch human beings, not evil people, please, us, mm. working like mad to get around God, the biblical law. But those laws, you know, are coming from human beings, of course. Now, all the way through, so when I see Jesus coming into Jerusalem on his peace donkey, I know, without seeing it, we're going to fight that. Yeah. We're going to say, that's lovely, but come on. Mm -hmm. And if I read Paul, I know there's going to be the pseudo-Pauline letters written in his name, because we don't like his idea of no slavery, mm -hmm. at least all Christians. And we don't like his idea of women and men being equal. So we have to have Colossians and Ephesians to fix that up. Mm. And always there is the dialectic. So when I see the Bible, I know that it's serious about its vision of how to live because people were trying to do it. Otherwise, they wouldn't have the bother negating it. Yeah. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. For example, we don't yeah. spend much time going after our Declaration of Independence, which says, uh, you know, born equal and endowed by our creator with an inalienable right life to be preserved, because we all know that's not to be taken seriously. Mm. Otherwise, we would be, have right-wing people saying, we have to get rid of the Declaration of Independence. It's just left-wing propaganda. And come to think of it, this, this um, uh, pledge of allegiance to the flag with liberty and justice for all. Wait a minute, no, I, I don't know about that. That sounds to me like left-wing propaganda. That sounds to me like socialism. Let's get rid of that. We know that's not real. That's dreamy stuff. Hmm. I know the Bible is real because people were trying to live it hmm. because otherwise you wouldn't have the bother yeah. changing it. Yeah. So the dialectic of the Bible is that we are we are writing what we think God wants and desperately trying to negate it at the same time. Yeah. Hmm. And if the Bible did not give us the first part. Hmm. You know, supposing, for example, we only had Luke Acts, everything else was being erased in the New Testament, or supposing it was all oral tradition until the time of Constantine, we'd have had a lovely New Testament. There'd be no problems in it. Jesus wouldn't tell us to, you know, <laughs> render to Caesar. He'd say, you know, God has given you Caesar, obey Caesar, something like that. Right. It's really good. I've, I've come to see the Bible as this, this like, you know, this collection of works, this collection of texts, and it's showing me what's so often true about myself, what's so often true about all of us in a sense, but yet it's the same time calling us to what we can be and yeah. maybe to the potential that's wired into us somewhere, but that so often gets buried under all the stuff of life and the world and things like that. Because I see on both hands, I see myself, yeah. I see the ugliness of myself that I can so often see on one side, but then I see the other side and I see, it's almost like, like the stories of Jesus. It's like Jesus, like holding up a mirror saying, this is what you have the potential to be. <laughs> This is yeah. who you are. Um, find this. Let's find this together. And so that's how I've been trying to tackle the Bible these days. And it, it's it's very accurate. I mean, especially when you try to look at the whole Bible as a whole, as, mm -hmm. a, as a single text almost, as if, not forget Old Testament, New Testament, run the yeah. straight. Yeah. But the other thing that I'm, I'm pleading with people to do, because you could say, well, that's lovely. You know, that's nice. If you're into the Bible, you're into the Bible. Mm -hmm. I'm pleading with my second vector. Please look at human evolution as well. Yeah. 
Otherwise, you could easily say, well, you have every right to see the Bible any way you want it. Mm -hmm. I want to see the Christ coming back to slaughter. That's fine. I just want you also to look at the fact that we're doing a pretty good job all by ourselves. In fact, honestly, if you look at the 20th century, there's probably nothing in the book of Revelation that isn't as bad as we tried to do mm. in the last century, really. Yeah. So, and that's escalating. It's mm. not like it's going like this. So I would, I would ask people to stand sort of with a leg in the public square and in human evolution, and if you're interested, as we are, in the Bible, mm. in the two traditions, and to watch where you might see them crossing, like, like two searchlights, you know, with a cross in the sky, as it sure. were, or two vectors. Mm. Because I'm at that position right now, and I wasn't always there, where I can't know which has been more influential on me they're both operational and they kind of judge one another so that it's not any longer that well jesus has this lovely vision i wouldn't have been couldn't it be so much nicer if we if we lived like that mm. it it sounds to me like almost we have to as a human imperative if we are to survive as a species and i don't know how to do that it's it's almost like violence is our drug of choice mm. and our addiction steadily growing across our human experience and now to imagine a world without violence or with control of violence at least mm. no longer is almost impossible to imagine it's it, you imagine a withdrawal that would that would be the end of the world almost as we know it yeah mm. If you simply think of all, all the things we have done to increase our capacity for violence. So I want us always to look to be bilingual, yeah. to speak from human evolution and to speak from the biblical tradition. If you're, as I am, involved sure. in that. Well, Dom, I could talk to you all day, my friend, but this has been a lot of fun. Thank you for taking the time to extra time to take us into those two places. Um, I've learned a lot and I'm sure our listeners have as well. So thank you. Thank you very much. Len. Always a pleasure to be with you. And uh, real quick, are you, are you have anything else going on that you're working on? Do you have any, what's next or? I'm not sure at the moment because I'm still involved in this, but usually thank God there always has been something with <laughs> this, this, because this book came out, at this time, now that had nothing to do with anything. It, it didn't. Sure, it, sure, it, sure. It, it went in, as I said, was started in 2018, went in uh, last summer, I think around June, and was simply, you know, going through its normal editorial shenanigans, as it were. <laughs> this dates are set, by the way. Uh, Publishers can move up a date when they have to, but oh, they don't like it. No, no, <laughs> so, I have to do that. <laughs> so this came out in the middle of a war. Yeah that raises almost all the problems and intensifies them. We thought this was over. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it when, I, when I'm hearing the dawn, I, D-O-N, the river dawn, I haven't heard the river dawn on the news since I read <laughs> Quiet Flows the Dawn. <laughs> You know, unfly it, unquiet flows the dawn this morning. The dawn was not in the news, or the Dnieper. This was something to do with World War II. Mm. If you were reading it, I mean, I was, a, I was a child during World War II, but, you know, reading it, I, I learned all this geography. Mm. And I went to those places, to the, to the Black Sea. But it was all sort of lovely, peaceful. I thought it was all over, that that was part of the past. Mm. That yes, Russia had come come west against Poland in 1939, but you know that would never nothing like that would ever happen again. And now I'm, it's like in a mini World War II with the capacity of becoming a maxi one. Yeah, scary stuff. Well, Dom, again, I'll put your right. links in the show notes. Thank you for taking time, and I'll talk to you soon. Take care. Bye. Wake up, get your morning started. Drinking daily coffee, got this money on my mind. The sun ain't always shining, but it's brighter days ahead. It gonna get started, we can do what we wanna. Wake up, wake up, get your morning started. Drinking daily coffee.
if he got this money on my mind. Way up. Sun ain't always shining, but it's brighter days ahead. Way up, way up, way up. Got myself to see the big picture. You not alone, I'm right there with ya. Trust me, get up. Guess I gotta be more stricter. Keep my head up, getting more slicker. I know, yeah. Hey. Gotta move my feet, put in the motion I know that every door I walk up to is bound to open Wish it all could be so easy, I insert a token Hit that thing on both sides, if the size is broken Move on, oven cooking, I be on the slow grind Anything I put my mind up to, I bound to be mine Best to get it by my way, follow suit and follow the line Hope you got it, hope you get it, go and check the guidelines, yo Wake up, get your morning started Drinking daily coffee, got this money on my mind See the sunrise, beauty all in the sky, so really wipe all my cries. Haven't felt this in the wild, man. I can't even lie. Living one day at a time, man. I'm just getting by. Job is stressing me with all the nonsense. Can't stop it. Quitting, then I'm on my own terms. Make a profit. Making sure I'm counting every penny in my pocket. Chessing ain't no checkers on my moves. That's a promise. Just keep a real bro, that's all that I know. Waking up at crack of dime, time not getting slow. Keep it moving, I'ma do the same, need a for growth. Before I blossom, gotta back up all my seeds on the low. Let's go. Yeah, keep it moving, I'ma do the same, need a for growth. Yeah. Uh. Before I blossom, gotta pack up all my seeds on the low. Let's go. Wake up. 